It is Women of Strength Wednesday, and we are so excited. <laughs> we are so excited for this story. We have just been chatting with Sarah, and Sarah had a very, very interesting verse story with chock full of so much information. Megan, do you feel like, I feel like our stories that we're getting lately, there's just not just one piece like one educational piece. I feel like there's so many components that work together to make these births happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Sarah's story is very much like that, but I'm really, really excited because Sarah lives right in the middle of me and Megan. She's local to Utah. And one of my doula besties, it was her doula and Sarah switched to birth center when she was 39 weeks and five days pregnant due to COVID-19 restrictions at her hospital and her provider becoming less supportive. And so if that is not enough information for you, there's more, there's more to her story and we are so excited for her to share it. But before we do that, Megan has a review of the week for us. Yes, I do. And What's funny is so she's in the middle of us like city wise and then her doula is one of Julie's best friends and then one of my clients is one of her friends. So like we're all connected. Very intertwined. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I've got a review and this is from Jessica Giffen, not Griffin, Giffen, I think. Um, And it's on (laughs) Facebook. Hopefully we haven't read this one before, but It says, I've been listening to your podcast since I found out I was pregnant with my second baby and I am now 38 weeks pregnant. At 36 weeks, an ultrasound showed that my baby was breached and I was heartbroken. They scheduled my C-section for January 1st and my hopes for a VBAC that I had been preparing for were pretty much crushed. But today, I went in for my 38-week appointment and I had a feeling something was different. I had a very skeptical doctor check and sure enough, baby girl is now head down and my c-section for january 1st has been canceled i know we're st- we still aren't out of the woods yet but i am such i'm at such peace and have been having a hopeful heart for healing for a healing birth experience i have su- found such knowledge and strength from listening to your podcast and wanted to thank you so much for everything that you do and bringing all of these women of strength together thank you a million times jessica giffen and Aww. I'm going to write her right now and ask her how things went. Yes. Does she have her baby? Like, what happened? Does she have a VBAC? We need to know these things. <laughs> I know. Like, I want to know. So, oh, you yeah, guys. I love, oh. I love all the reviews. I, love I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I love them. I was just kind of like scrolling through trying to find one here today for Sarah's story. And they give me chills. Like, they really do give me chills. We talk about it all the time. We love... Is it maybe it's just something like in human nature? Maybe we just love hearing something nice being said about us. I don't know, <laughs> but it really does. It feels so good, and it gives me chills to know that what Julie and I have have going for you is doing exactly what our goal was. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is like it's just very validating, and I don't want to like to our own horns or anything, but we, we work really hard. I think harder than most people realize <laughs> Yeah. Um, between podcasting and getting um, our courses set up and doing recordings for our courses and recording more videos to add even more content to the courses and answering all your messages and emails and organizing and keeping this ship running smoothly. It's just nice for all of our hard work to 
to get that feedback that it's helping people. And so if you haven't already, would you help us help you by leaving us a review on either Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or you can just Google the VBAC link and leave a review right there on our Google business page. You are tuned in to the VBAC link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Do you want a VBAC but don't know where to start? It's easy to feel like we need to figure it all out on our own. That's what we used to do, and it was the loneliest, most ineffective thing we have ever done. That's why Megan and I created our signature course, How to VBAC, the ultimate preparation course for parents that you can find at the VBAClink.com. It is the most comprehensive VBAC preparation course in the world, perfectly packaged in an online self-paced video course. Together, Megan and I have helped over 800 parents get the birth that they wanted, and we are ready to help you too. Head on over to the VBAClink.com to find out more and sign up today. That's the vbacklink.com. See you there. Okay, listen up guys. We have Sarah here and she is pretty incredible. Besides the fact that she has a really cool birth story, she is a musician and a vocalist and a violinist and she performs with the YouTube group Chrome Street Quartet. That's chrome like shiny chrome right now. Yeah, Chrome, Chrome Street, Street Quartet. Quartet. Yes, so go look up her YouTube channel and give it a follow because it's pretty amazing. Um, she's married to Bob, has two boys, and really enjoys adventures with her young family. And we are so, so, so excited to listen to Sarah's story. So without further ado, we will give it over to Sarah. Julie and Megan, thank you so much for having me on this morning. I also want to say thank you. Um, the resources that you guys provided really helped make me feel like I was educated, informed, and able to make some of the decisions that I did later on in my pregnancy. I also felt really inspired just by the phrase that you guys share, that we are women of strength. It takes a lot of strength to have a baby. And those words would continue to replay in my mind that I am a woman of strength. I can do this. And just knowing that there were other women who had had similar experiences and that I was able to listen to on your podcast just really helped me throughout my journey. Um, So I do want to just jump right in. Um, I had a great pregnancy and I had a provider that seemed very VBAC supportive. It was my very last appointment. I was 39 and five days. So it was a Friday afternoon and I was due on Monday. And I walked in, I was excited. I almost canceled because I knew that, you know, COVID-19, it had become a testing site, that hospital. And so I thought about canceling and just showing up, you know, in labor and delivery. But I did go in and she said that she had been thinking a lot about me and that she wouldn't be able to support me any longer in a vaginal delivery. I was totally shocked. I started shaking. Curveball. Holy cow. Yeah, my heart just started pounding. And um, she just kind of continued and said that, 
there were providers in the hospital who were being tested for COVID. And because this specific hospital had a policy that for attending a VBAC, the doctor had to be in the hospital the whole time. She oh, said, yeah. I have four kids and my husband at home, and I just don't think I can wait in the hospital for 12 hours while you labor. Oh, wow. It was a huge wow. to hear that because 12 hours actually seemed like a very short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like you're going to be laboring at the hospital the whole time. Yeah. I, I knew that my labor would probably be long. My first labor with my son was 40 hours. And so I wasn't expecting anything less than 12. But she also just continued and said that she had been reviewing my chart and felt like I was high risk. So what? When, I had my, when I had my first baby, my water broke prematurely. I had only dilated to two centimeters. I had been on Pitocin off and on throughout that 40-hour experience, and my baby was OP. He was sunny side up, mm. and so he was stuck, and um, I had a C-section. But in my operative report, it said that the reason for the C-section was failure to progress. And uh, as I understood it- They did that to me too. Me the too. Hospital. Progress is after you're at six centimeters. And so that was kind of an, an eye-opening experience to see that that's how they had classified me. And so my I OB, had never told you, right? Yeah, I had never exactly. told you. I had just like looked at my OP, like at my report, you know, later. Yeah. And she said, um, a lot of times if a woman has that uh, experience, the first pregnancy, she'll also have failure to progress thereafter. Mm-hmm. And I, Can we just mm-hmm. talk about the fact where she said, I feel like you're high risk? Like, is that a medical where, diagnosis? Where are you high risk in, the, yeah. in any of Her that? Her feeling. Like, she what? feels. There's nothing like, about that makes you high or, risk. Feeling or not, there's nothing there to say you were high risk. Nothing. Huh. And I was so excited to have a VBAC and had been researching and, and really done my homework on it. Yeah. But just the chance to try was what I wanted. And all of a sudden, she was saying, hey, if you don't deliver by 40 weeks then I'll perform a C-section. And it was at that moment that I just knew that I would not be able to deliver with her, that my body probably would just not be able to relax and feel safe in that environment. So I held it together. at that hospital a lot. Like they'll induce on due dates for VBAC. Well, and that's what she said was that because of COVID, the hospital was offering a C-section or an induction at 38 weeks for every woman. Yeah. 38 weeks? And that's... That's yeah, and that's happening right now too. What a lot of people are saying. Oh, well, the thing is, is like this is what's happening. This is bugging me so much. So there's the Rive study that the 39 Uh, week, right? And I swear, I swear to you that since that has happened, this is my own personal opinion. This is not evidence based. Go check out evidence based birth for more evidence based. This is my own personal opinion is since the whole 39-week trial, all of a sudden, it's like 41 weeks is gone. That's not a thing anymore. 40 weeks is late, 39 weeks is early, and 38 weeks is acceptable for cesarean. Just like 39 weeks was, you know what I mean? I swear Mm -hmm. I keep seeing this, and I'm like, what is happening? Like, are we going to start delivering babies at 36 weeks because now we're going to do a 37-week trial? (laughs) Like, what is happening? So well, and oh. the trial is so flawed and non-conclusive and only relevant to first-time moms. So yeah. there's that. Anyway, sorry, keep <laughs> sorry, going. Sorry, we're going to stop interrupting tangents. you. We're going to stop interrupting you. I promise. <laughs> 
Well, and because of our conversation and, you know, just how I felt in that room right there, I knew that when, when I left, like the rest of my day would probably be spent looking for a new provider. Mm. Um, but I was also feeling really emotional. I felt abandoned. I felt that I didn't, you know, know what I would do if I had a baby the next day. I felt like I was so close that for her to, you know, give me that ultimatum, you know, was just kind of in her best interest and not looking after, you know, the mother and, and the baby in the care that they were providing at, the, at this hospital. Luckily, I had hired a doula um, around 32 weeks. I had been feeling like I needed an advocate. I needed someone that could help me, um, you know, to get to this goal of having a VBAC. And so I called my husband. I asked if he'd be supportive of us trying to find a new provider and kind of doing things a different way. And then I called our doula and she was amazing. She's also a midwife student. And so yes. she was able to connect <laughs> us with her attending midwife. Mm -hmm. We had a meeting the next day and they were willing to take us on as clients. She asked me what my perfect birth looked like. So I was just able to share with her that I, I wanted to, to be able to let my body kind of take the lead. And of course I was scared and nervous, wondering if I could do right. it unmedicated but we talked through all of my concerns and I finally felt peace and I knew that my body was prepared to start this adventure of the labor and delivery process. Um, so the weekend came and went, his due date came and went and still no baby, but I had been feeling contractions and the feelings were so much better than a contraction on Pitocin. Those were very, very intense and painful. And these natural contractions as they started to ramp up didn't have that same sort of pain. I was really grateful that they just were able to build slowly and my body was able to adapt and learn how to, how to manage with that. So it was one day after his due date, it was around dinner time and the contractions started to become a little bit more regular. I got excited and felt like maybe this is it, you know, like the timing kind of seems right. So I labored for a few hours they got closer and closer. They were about three to four minutes apart. I called my doula, let her know. And then I decided it was time to rest so I could have enough energy Smart. for the day. Smart. But my baby had different plans. And all through the night, I just couldn't get comfortable enough to sleep. My cute husband was up all night with me. And we would just we would do that slow dancing pose. And I would moan. And I would kind of sing low, try to relax as I was going through these contractions. And I kept telling myself, you can call your doula at 6 a.m. Just get through the night so that everybody else has the strength they need to support you <laughs> in this delivery. That's so, the perfect time to get called to a birth. Right? So yeah. the next morning, it was actually around 8 o'clock in the morning, we called my mother-in-law to come pick up my toddler so that they could hang out while we went to the birth center. And then we called our doula. She came to the house and kind of just observed how things were going for a little while. She suggested that we should pack our bags and go to the birth center. So I was getting so excited that we were actually going to be meeting our baby boy soon. And we had planned to go to the birth center around eight centimeters. We wanted to, you know, be an active labor and just kind of go there for the delivery. So I wasn't sure that my body was quite there, but I was on board for, for heading over. Um, our birth center was actually only about 10 minutes away. And so the drive there was, was pretty manageable. But um, my first cervical check as we arrived only showed that I was at a four. So I was disappointed. Oh, but that's hard. I had progressed further than I had with my first delivery. So that was really exciting and felt like my body has done this. You know, like it's already 
overcome what it couldn't do last time. You know, that thought was in my mind. So we just went outside. We started curb walking. We did some belly lifts. We, we spoke with someone who was in their car and asked if we needed a ride to the hospital. <laughs> we said, nope, we're just having a <laughs> And so we just kind of worked through the process. Um, We came back into the birth center. And when we did another check, my midwife actually found three little fingers on the top of his head. And so the reason that we hadn't progressed more with, you know, the amount of time I had labored was because he had that nuchal hand. And at this point, it was that question of what should we do next? You know, like, can we help him shift positions And so they actually recommended that I go to my chiropractor. I hadn't been seeing him very long. I had only had two or three appointments, but each time it did feel like it, you know, like helped me to feel more relaxed and that my hip, you know, felt more aligned. Exactly. Who was your chiropractor? Um, Jason Vance. He's actually um, just really local and he did a wonderful job. We scheduled that appointment. It was for about 90 minutes later. And then as we started progress, we weren't sure that we would make it because things got more intense and my water hadn't broken yet, but our doula did come with us to the appointment just in case that happened (laughs) and she would be catching a baby, you know, in a different location. So we went to the chiropractic appointment and I felt so bad because every time I had a contraction, I had to jump off the table and, you know, just like be in the arms of my husband and Mm. I'm sure that he was, uh, you know, like a little surprised at how natural and unmedicated birth looked on me. I was in labor land for sure. I, you know, like didn't really have a care in the world about what other people were thinking. I was just kind of trying to stay calm and focus and, and get through it. But I really wanted the, the adjustment to happen. So I would get yeah. back on the table and he completed that process. And we went back to the birth center while we were walking down to the car Uh, my doula said, it looks like he has descended lower already. And I'm getting excited. Really? Like, does it look awesome? So when we got back to the birth center, we did a check. He had rotated from his OP position. He had moved his hand and I was dilated to eight centimeters. Chiropractors are amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And that never would have been a possibility if I had been in the hospital right? I would never have been able to leave to have that experience. Yeah. And with the nuchal hand, they get really nervous. There's a big chance they would have suggested a cesarean right then and there. That's exactly what my midwife said after the fact when we were kind of doing our debrief. So we got back and um, so I was at eight centimeters. I felt like I was ready to go. Um, There were some hard moments throughout the journey and I did have to tell myself like, you are strong enough to do this. I said a lot of prayers, like, give me the strength to do this. And when this moment came that I found that, you know, we were kind of ready to go, mm-hmm. the only thing that was standing in our way was that my water hadn't broken yet. And it was um, holding it him from, from descending all the way. Mm-hmm. So then it was, do you want to break your bag of water? There could be a risk for cord prolapse. And I knew that that meant a C-section. Um, so I was, I was, you know, in this position to choose, but I felt like we should at least try to continue things going. It had been, you know, 26 hours at this point that I had, you know, been laboring with strong enough feelings that I was also getting a little bit tired. Anyway, so I sat on this U stool and my midwife put on this glove that had like a little spike attached to it. And she just asked me to kind of press down while she was going to go in. 
And as I pressed down, the water just gushed. It just burst <laughs> like a tidal wave. It was awesome. It was ready. So bad that I had totally, you know, soaked her in my amniotic fluid. But it was, it was time. We were ready. Um, my midwife looked at me and said, Sarah, this is going to be transition. You need to find your focus. I need you to, you know, like really go deep within yourself so that you can do this. Like it, it could be painful and you just have to take every twist and turn and stay strong. And so at that point, I kind of like got my head in the game. My husband turned on um, a hypnobirthing script and I just repeated those words as I heard them. You know, that I am safe, I am secure. With each surge, it brings me closer to my baby. And I was just feeling the strength that was within me and also... Sorry, I'm emotional. No, it's okay. Let it out. This is, this is good. But it's a really a magnificent experience to know that you are birthing a baby and just everything that that means and, and the joy that comes with that. And so I, I was just looking into the eyes of my husband. I was finding that strength within me and I was really feeling that I could do this and that I had the strength and that we would have a successful be back. We had decided that we would labor in the tub a little bit. And so, you know, after a few minutes of, you know, just kind of being in transition and, and learning how to manage with that, I got into the birthing tub. And the moment that I was submerged in the water, I felt that urge to push, which was a big feeling. And my midwife just said, do it, you know, like let it out, just push down, you can do this. Mm-hmm. So I started pushing a few times, but I could tell from the way that everybody was responding that I wasn't pushing deep enough, that there was something that I was, you know, like not really getting at. Mm -hmm. And while I was, you know, having these progressive contractions, they actually traced the baby and found that his heart rate was decelerating. The mood in the room totally shifted from being calm and that we had all the time in the world to my midwife saying, you have to push this baby out right now. And I thought, I'm not ready. Like everything I have mm-hmm. studied says that my body will push, that I will know how it should feel, that I can take my time, you know, that I might even get a little bit of a break here to let yeah. the baby, you know, like ease down the birth canal. But she, you know, just looked me in the eyes and told me that I needed to push this baby out. So they actually pulled me out of the tub and onto the bed and just told me that I had to push. So the pushing part was, was more intense than I had anticipated, but it also was that moment that I thought, what might happen if I don't push him out? You know, how much time do I really have if his heart rate is decelerating? And so I had the biggest three pushes, you know, like three different contractions that I could ever have imagined, you know, would come from me. And on that last push, I just knew that it was time. I didn't feel a lot of the pain that people talk about. There was no ring of fire. There was no like feeling him, you know, descending. It was just that feeling of pushing that baby. And so I looked down and there he is. My midwife caught him and he was completely wrapped up in his cord. So he had a triple nuchal cord. Oh my gosh. Which is why he, his heart rate had decelerated so much there at the end, just with him you know, moving down, it was, you know, eliminating some of his oxygen. So she was rubbing his back, but within, you know, like 
seven or eight seconds, he gave the first huge cry and um, up to my chest and I just held him and told him how much we loved him and how excited we were that he had been born. And there's a picture that our photographer was able to get that just captures this moment of our pure bliss, you know, just this elation and so much energy in the room. I felt the endorphins just coursing through my body that, that we had birthed this baby. I mean, I, I wanted it so bad. I knew my body could do it, but being in that moment where it had happened was surreal. It was that feeling of, wait, we just did this. Like I just had a baby and, and I did it like vaginally, you know, I did it. I did it. That moment was just so unforgettable. Um, he actually nursed right away, which was, was so redemptive with my first son. He, he had an APGAR score of two when the C-section happened. And so he was actually in the NICU for a few days and I wasn't able to nurse him, you know, until a little bit later. And so it was so wonderful just to be able to hold him to my chest and to have him nurse and to know that this bonding period that I really wanted was happening. That was a huge um, gift to me. And just that feeling that, you know, like this is how it should be done. This is how birth happens. And even though our timing was in the middle of a pandemic, we were able to have this baby, you know, like he didn't care that coronavirus was everywhere and that it made the hospital policies different. Exactly. And, you know, that maybe his due date, he was, you know, two days late. He didn't care about those things. He just needed a mom and this process to, to happen when it was supposed to happen. And, you know, because I was able to debrief with my midwife about this whole situation, she also said, you know, if you had been in a hospital, there would have been multiple occasions that they would have, you know, like highly All suggested C-section. or maybe even enforced <laughs> a C-section, especially yeah. with that, that nuchal hand with a longer process, maybe with him just being OP would have made them want to do a C-section. And then right there at the end, they would have taken that from me when his heart was decelerating and said, you know, you're out of 10, you're pushing, but we're going to do a C-section. And I joked that I wanted to make a t-shirt that said, when push came to shove, I pushed. And, you know, I love it. I love that. You should. And I will buy one. We will make it for both of you. You know, (laughs) yes, because I had that choice. And, and I know that that C-sections are necessary when they are medically necessary. Right. And I just, I never felt that it was for me in this process. And I didn't feel like I was jeopardizing my health or the baby's health by continuing through these twists and turns in our delivery process. It definitely made me realize that every birth is uncertain and that there will be ups and downs. And you know, that a long labor is probably normal and is healthy for a baby and a mom. Um, But I was able to do it. And I felt, Mm -hmm. I felt so excited. I, um, we actually were able to come home and sleep in our own bed. And I was able to shower that first night and I did not feel tired. It was probably like two or three days later, you know, that I started to feel tired from having not slept for a few nights, you know, but really those, those hormones and those chemicals within my body helped sustain me and give me the energy and the strength that I needed to kind of, you know, take on those first few days of labor and delivery. And with my C-section, I never had those feelings I just felt groggy and in a fog and trying to wean myself off of painkillers for a few weeks. Yep. 
And so I, um, you know, I just feel like this recovery process, having delivered him vaginally has been so much better. Definitely. And um, I love it. Like you said, there's like twists and turns and bumps and hurdles. But one of the things that stood out to me about you, your birth is your team. You had this team that said, okay, so this is a situation. Let's stop. Let's ponder. Let's discuss what we want to do. Okay, this is our action. We're going to go to the chiropractor. We're going to do this. And all those little things that you were allowed to do, and I say allowed with quotations, like allowed because you're not in a hospital room, and I'm not against hospital birth, but because you weren't like in a space where you couldn't leave, um, you were able to take all the proper actions that you needed for this birth and this baby to get you to the end result. And um, I just love that. I love I love that there's little things like that. I also was adjusted during my delivery twice, actually. I was in really early labor. It was like one centimeter, got adjusted. And then the next morning, I got, or no, the, that evening, it was that evening I got adjusted again. And I had only like all day, I'd been laboring all day and I only dilated like one centimeter. It's <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And she adjusted me again. And the next morning I had dilated three more centimeters. My baby was way low, still OP, but way low. And we had some work to do, but still big, big things, you know, and I was grateful for those experiences. So I'm so happy. Well, I'm sorry that you got fired. Fire, getting fired <laughs> is not usually a pleasant experience, but it sounds like in this situation, it was probably a blessing in disguise. And we're so happy for you. So, so happy for you. Thank you so yes. much. And just like you said, it was, it was a blessing in disguise because I'm not sure that, that even though this provider, you know, like stated she was VBAC supportive, I think in this birth scenario, it probably would have ended up differently. And so I was actually, you know, like fortunate to be in a, a birth center and with a midwife who has a different model of care. Absolutely. I think that that's so important. A lot of times people think that out-of-hospital birth is dangerous or scary, or there is actually a comment in our Facebook community the other day, actually yesterday, from a parent who was uh, trying to give advice to another parent, and she was very strongly against VBAC at home, and she said that there is an eight- that your baby is more likely to die by eight times, like eight times higher chance of your baby dying at home. And then if your uterus ruptures, your baby will die. And that's simply not true. It's just not true. There's no facts or evidence to support that. In fact, all the recent studies show that home birth is just as safe or in some instances safer than hospital birth. And so the midwifery model of care is very, very important so MANA is Midwife Alliance of North America, and they put out a standard for care for midwives that practice in hospital and out of hospital. And any certified and registered midwife has to follow the midwifery model of care. And it's important. It talks about, well, actually, I'm just going to read this. Um, the midwifery model of care is a fundamentally different approach to pregnancy and childbirth than contemporary obstetrics. Midwifery care is uniquely nurturing, hands-on care before, during, and after birth. 
Midwives are healthcare professionals specializing in pregnancy and childbirth who develop a trusting relationship with their clients, which results in confident, supported labor and birth. While there are different types of midwives practicing in various settings, all midwives are trained to provide comprehensive prenatal care and education, guide labor and birth, address complications, and care for newborns. The midwife's model of care is based on the fact that pregnancy and birth are normal life events. The model of care includes monitoring the physical, psychological, and social well-being of the mother throughout the childbearing cycle, providing the mother with individualized education, counseling, and prenatal care, continuous hands-on assistance during labor and delivery, and postpartum support, minimizing technological interventions, and identifying and referring women who require obstetrical attention. The application of this model has been proven to reduce to incidents, both injury, trauma, and C-section. Now, I think that's really important because a lot of people think midwives are just like hippie dancing around the birth room, mm -hmm. waving the incense and sage cleansing. And they're not qualified. The and they're not qualified, exactly. But midwives have a very specific scope, especially for out of hospital. Every state law's a little bit different, but there's always a point where a woman would risk out of Mm -hmm. with free care and need to be seen by an obstetrician. And so when we hear stories um, of parents saying, well, I had a twin birth at home and I needed to be induced at 36 weeks because preeclampsia or da, da, da. And if I would have given birth at home, I would have died. Well, you wouldn't have been giving birth at home because a midwife would have transferred your care with such a complicated pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Right. So so when you have an experienced midwife there with you, out of hospital birth, whether at home or at a birth center, is just as safe or safer than an in-hospital birth. And you have lower rates of intervention, induction, mm -hmm. and cesarean because these midwives, like um, it said at the beginning, they're fundamentally different. There's a fundamentally different approach where we trust the body, we trust the mother, we trust the baby. And as long as everything is remains low risk and healthy, and the midwives do all that they can to monitor and ensure that both mom and baby are safe during their pregnancy and birth. And guess what? They have the same diagnostic procedures and do the same tests on mm -hmm. a birth parent as yeah, a hospital do. does the exact same ones. They know how to measure and guide and watch and tell and transfer care either during or while in labor or before or while they're in late while parents are in labor. So I'm glad that you took that leap of faith, Sarah, because jumping to uh, out of hospital birth when you're that far along pregnant can be a very scary thing. Intimidating. It yeah, it can be for sure because it's not something that you've prepared for or planned and it's hard to switch and make plans and preparations so late in the game, but it sounded like you did a really good job following your intuition, listening to your heart, getting educated. You had a really awesome doula who is my friend and a really awesome midwife who I've actually seen transfer in an emergency situation and her, oh my gosh, I was just so impressed. It was the first home birth transfer I had ever seen. And she was just amazingly observant and detailed. And she got EMS there before anything became too big of a problem. And mom and baby are healthy and fine and happy now. And um, it's just incredible. And so, yeah, I just, 
I see so many clients, and I know Megan, you've had some too switch from yeah. hospital to home birth. In fact, my last right two, now with COVID, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy what's happening with people transferring. People are realizing and seeking out care elsewhere. And I have a first time mom coming up, and I had a just had a home birth from a a parent who had had unmedicated hospital births for her first four pregnancies, and she switched to home birth at thirty six weeks. And had a beautiful home birth experience. And I like that. I mean, I don't like that COVID-19 is placing so many restrictions on birthing families right now. But what I do like is that it's causing people to think outside of the box. Parents and birth professionals alike. In-hospital providers are working their butts off to make a best experience possible for these parents. Parents are getting educated and making good decisions based on their circumstances. And sometimes that means switching to out-of-hospital birth or home birth. And us doulas are having to get really, really creative in how we support our clients and prepare them for these different circumstances and how we support them both prenatally and during their labors when we're not allowed in the hospital and birth partners are having to step up these husbands and babies fathers and co-parents and you know whatever yeah whatever the partner whatever birth partner is there are really having to step up and become more involved and so I know both Megan and I are putting a lot of focus on getting the birth partner ready to like step up into some different roles that they might not have been prepared for. So that was a really long winded <laughs> scope box I just got on about the midwifery model of care, but it, it really is amazing and trusted. It's guided, it's regulated, it's controlled. Uh, midwives have to adhere to it or there are consequences. I just, yeah, I love it. I love that I love that people are able to, like you said, think outside of the box, but like look what's tune into what's best for them. Mm-hmm. And it still may be that they deliver in the hospital. In fact, I had a client the other day and she's like, you know, I still just am not, unco- I'm too uncomfortable to deliver out of hospital and then I'm not allowed. And she's like, so if it comes down to it, she's like, I might just get the epidural. And I'm like, that's okay too. Yeah. That's totally okay. Like her husband is amazing. But she feels there's a difference between her husband and I. And mm-hmm. there is. I mean, there is. Like, one, like, it's obvious. Like, there's a husband and a, and a doula. Like, but at the same <laughs> time, he's very skilled and educated. He is very mm-hmm. good. But she said, like, there's just something different. Like, it's just something different. And I know I've experienced that with my doulas as well. And she's like, I just don't want him to have to feel that pressure. And I don't want to have to feel that pressure to tell him what I need. And mm. so she's like, I might just get the epidural. I'm like, that's okay. So we're like educating on epidurals now and, and what that may look like and feel like. And so, yeah, it's just, it's different for everyone. So Sarah, I'm so grateful that you were able to share your story and um, I'm excited for everyone to listen. Absolutely. It's wonderful. And we just love you and we love your birth team and we love your doula and your midwife and your friend that I don't know, but Megan does. And (laughs) we're just so happy that you're part of our community here locally, especially. So thank you again for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me and for the work that you do. I do feel like there is a sense of community once you're a VBAC or while you're preparing for VBAC that that you need. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the vbaclink.com slash share to submit your story. 
For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.